0: You're listening to Managing with Dr. Melly, a show that's focused on normalizing, building empathy, and sharing new perspectives to help us manage phenomena of the human experience. With me, your host, clinical psychologist and fellow human, Dr. Melly Wasserman. Thanks for being here. And don't forget, let's sprinkle a little bit more humanity back into this world. a lot of things about the transition to parenthood. There are just so many cooks in the kitchen. But when we think about managing parenthood as a trauma survivor, or even beginning to plan the journey to become a parent, a lot can come up. According to the National Center for PTSD, in 2020, about 13 million of Americans had post-traumatic stress disorder. And that only includes folks who met criteria for the diagnosis. Many folks who experience trauma may not end up with a diagnosis, yet trauma can have a lasting impact. Oftentimes, trauma can re-emerge, and we can be revisited by thoughts and feelings related to traumatic experiences as we emerge into the role as a parent. This week, I'm chatting with Renee Eddy. Renee is a licensed professional counselor, Reiki master, and eye movement desensitization and reprocessing consultant, Based in Norwich, Connecticut. She works with an array of people who are on their healing and growing paths. Her passion is helping people heal from trauma throughout the lifespan, navigating transitions, and helping folks thrive in their lives. In this episode, we chat about managing parenthood as a trauma survivor. How does becoming a parent trigger unhealed or even healed wounds from our childhood? What impact does trauma have on our role as a parent? And how do we mitigate the impact of trauma within our role as a parent or break intergenerational cycles? Hello. Thank you so much, Renee, for joining me today for this really important conversation. I'm so stoked to have this dialogue with you and to talk about how we manage parenthood as a trauma survivor. So let's just kick it off. And I'd love to hear more. Who is Renee (laughs) Eddy? Thank you so much for having
1: me. You know, that's a question I ask myself on the regular. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always tell people, like, if you're the same person you were a year ago, is that really okay?
0: Yeah. So who (laughs) are you today in this moment right now? Who are you? (laughs) So well,
1: professionally, I'm a trauma specialist, Reiki master and EMDR consultant. That means I specialize in working with people who have experienced trauma. My focus is on whole self-wellness. Whole self-wellness is the integration of the mind, body, spirit approach to healing and embracing the life that you want to live. And this moment, I am particularly focused on helping moms achieve whole self-wellness because I believe that, you know, as moms, we're often fed this lie that we're not allowed to matter as much as those we care for. So I am very much focusing on helping women and moms really recognize that that's a lie that we can have whole self-wellness and helping them get there. I'm also blessed to teach my fellow humans about Reiki, and I help other therapists learn how to practice and develop their EMDR skills. I also founded Eddie Wellness, which is a holistic group practice I have, and then I have growing here in Norwich as well.
0: Just really excited to be here. I love our like alignment. I'm all about like the holistic. I think that we have to, as providers, really look at whole human, whole body, whole identity, wellness. I think it's such a such an important and critical factor in the work that we do.
1: Well, I think it is, and I believe that we've gotten away from that. I think that treatment at one white was focused on the whole individual. And as we started to learn more about the bits and the pieces, you know, understandably, we're like, oh, let's learn all about this. Let's learn all about this. And we forgot it was just part of the puzzle and started thinking like, oh, this is the only thing that matters now is this field or this field. It's like, no, like still one whole person.
0: And I love that, you know, you mentioned and so many things that we align with as well, I've gone through EMDR training and I always love to hear about like people's professional journeys and like how they have integrated these parts of their professional identity. And it's so hard to piece apart professional and personal identity because they overlap, right? Our values and kind of who we are. And for me, I share with my students that I actually was an EMDR patient before I got trained in EMDR. And same with like this holistic perspective, like my acupuncturist is, I always say like, he's my primary care provider. He's my guru. Like, you know, all about the chi don't fully understand it, but I can benefit from balancing my chi. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. So how, in terms of like your professional identity and your professional journey, how did all of these things come together?
1: Oh my goodness. So I remember when I started my own healing journey. It was a very, like, clunky is the word that comes to mind, process.
0: As it is for so many of us. I know. It's so linear. It's clunky. <laughs> and
1: I didn't know where to go or what to do or anything. And so I was always drawn to, like, the holistic piece. Because I'm like, this can't be it. But at the time, like, there was no one place to get all these things. So I ended up having to search all over high and low trying to find like, what could treat this? What could treat this? What
0: could treat this? Cast a wide net. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I had to like go all over my state trying to get treatment and nobody was talking to each other and nobody really understood what the other one was doing. And I walked into a therapist at the time who had a general, like, or who had a holistic leaning. And so she was more open to it and growing with it. And so like, she was kind of my guide and she was the one who I think if she hadn't given me permission, that really helped me. Cause I think that you run into a lot of people in our field who are, you know, very dogmatic almost versus like, no, this is what we do. And this is how we heal. And if you're doing any of these other things, you're not following my process. And it's like, well, this isn't about you. So I think that's how I started. And that's how I started like getting more towards the holistic approach was I realized that's what worked with me. EMDR, I had been drawn to for a while. I didn't understand really what it was. I'm like, oh, it's another alphabet to add to my resume.
0: And <laughs> four which, letters. Great. That's <laughs> we <right>. did it.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> Cue the theme song. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went to my training I was getting ready I was all excited to go with my training and then I got pregnant and so that didn't happen and then when I had the baby I'm like here we go we're gonna do this training and I went to my EMDR training and I just found like this thing is holy cow I had not had an opportunity to have an EMDR therapist until that point and then afterwards I sought one out as soon as I could but I was just amazed by how it was like everything. So, EMDR is about that mind body connection. And I was so blown away by the fact that we're mapping out our neural networks, we're healing from the yeah. brain level. Integrating. So, I love mm-hmm. the science and the like just the integration with that mind and body. Cause so I was like, holy cow, like finally, like this is really going at it in a way that makes sense. And so, it resonated for me. And once I found EMDR, like I never looked back. And so I went on and I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And around the same time, I was also realizing that I was really tuning into the energy piece. So I went ahead, I did my Reiki training and that was another thing. Once I did it, I was like, okay, so here this is. And I never looked back and it wasn't until probably a year later that I was like, hey, wait a second, these things can work together. And so that's where it really took off for me and where it became part of my professional identity is realizing that this is what I do. This is what I offer. I focus on whole self-wellness because that is what we need. It's mind, body, spirit, mind, body, soul, whatever you decide to call that last thing. But like, if we're not treating people from a whole body wellness, from a whole
0: self-wellness, then what are we doing? Whole self-wellness as an individual, right? Because exactly. that's so individualized. Yeah. Yes. No, I love that and deeply resonate that with that. I feel like we could spend this whole episode talking about EMDR too because we'll get on our soapbox for sure.
1: It's amazing. (laughs) All I can say is, if you haven't tried it, try it because it will change your life in ways you didn't realize were even possible.
0: So I always, I I generally like to start out too with like an icebreaker question, so we can like you know get to know you behind the scenes. So I will ask you, what's one thing that you will never do again? (laughs) We've been talking about all the things that we we love to do and that we integrate. So what's one thing that you'll never do again? (laughs) This.
1: kind of seems silly so are you familiar with water parks
0: oh yeah we have several here in California
1: I would imagine <laughs> yes. so I remember as a kid being all about water parks they were a very special treat so i was I've always grown up in like the northeast area and so water parks are not a year-round thing they're just the seasonal and it was always like such a treat when got to go and one And so I found this one near us, which was actually an indoor water park. And I took my kids, which was beautiful and blissful. It's not a vacation, as any parent can tell you, like when you take your children to a water park, even if it's an indoor resort. And my daughter was so, so excited to take a ride on the slide, but my son wasn't big enough. So I agreed unintelligently, is what we're going to call that, to go ahead and go with her on this water slide. And so it was one of those big raft ones that sits like six people. And it was also like still coming out of COVID. So you weren't allowed to mix people. It was like if you went up as a unit, you rode as a unit and that was it. So it's me, a full grown adult female with my small child on this raft that's supposed to fit six people. And they just sent us opposite each other. And so we go. And so the entire ride, the entire spinning ride, I was going backwards, in circles, in loops. Oh, I feel this. And then when we got out, like I couldn't even get out of the raft. I felt like I was going to vomit. Like I literally crawled out of the pool
0: and sat there and I was like, go find dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am unwell. I am unwell. I was so,
1: I, I'm not even exaggerating. Like I crawled out of that little pool. <laughs> I'm like, this is not okay. It took me a solid half hour to feel like I can move without
0: throwing up. Yeah. That's never That's an, uh, something I'll never do again moment.
1: No. I'm like, bless you, child. I love you. You will not ride one of these again until COVID is completely clear. We can mix families again, or your brother is old enough because this, <laughs> this, no, <laughs> like, not <hard> happening. Mess, <laughs> not happening. And then like, after I've hour, she's like, mom, are you feeling better? Can we go again? I just stared at her. <laughs>
0: I was like, no, no. If you only <laughs> felt what I felt during that whole experience. Hey, and she for your daughter, it was probably the right of her life. She had so much fun.
1: She's like, but it's <laughs> fun. And we did the things, so and we did this. And like, and then your face turned that fun color. And I'm like, oh, child.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and she had a front row seat. Because if you're going backwards, she's just watching you the whole time. <laughs> she's lucky I didn't throw up. Because she would have a very front that would have had a that would have been a real front row seat to I that. Mean, to be scenario. fair, that would
1: have been karma. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> like remember that time?
0: So. Oh my goodness! Yes, I can get on board with that. I felt that like oh the going backwards and oh just all of it. That's a no. That's a no go for sure. Oh my goodness! Well, we're gonna talk about so we're gonna cover so many things today. I am so excited to chat about this topic with you. And, you know, there's so many, we hear so much about this transition to parenthood, right? And I know today we're going to be talking about managing that transition or managing parenthood in general as being a trauma survivor. And, you know, there's so many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to parenthood and everyone likes to share what worked for them and, and their advice and everything. But I wonder when we think about, you know, managing parenthood, as a trauma survivor, or even like beginning, even beginning to start that planning journey or what we can plan, obviously, I imagine that like so much can come up. And I know I shared this with you already. I'm in that process right now. I'm, I'm 20 weeks pregnant, almost 21 this weekend. It's a big milestone. Well, yeah, yes. Oh, we did this, the, the, the structural ultrasound on Monday. And I always describe this process as like, it's just wild. There's no other like word to describe it. But yeah, like when we even kind of set the stage and start to think about like, how do we manage this amidst being a trauma survivor? Like, what does this look like? What does the research out there say about managing parenthood, managing this transition while being a trauma survivor?
1: It's hard, you know what I mean? And I don't think that it's something that people give adequate attention to as with as far as compassion goes because you have like you said many cooks in the kitchen and they will offer you all your advice and I like to believe many of them are well-intentioned but for the most part practicing quiet time would be in their best interest because I think people forget to recognize that no two journeys are the same you know, and you don't know what that person opposite you is coming to the table with. You don't know what they're coming to as far as their own past history, their current history, their current situation. There are so many things that impact how somebody is going to prepare for motherhood, who's going to become a mother, and who is then going to actually be the mom. Like, there's so many things that impact it. And when we're talking about coming to this huge transition with the trauma survivor, as a trauma survivor, you want to be mindful of the fact that you don't have a roadmap. You know, other people that come to parenthood might have a roadmap. Maybe they had a healthy enough family or even a healthy family. Yeah. yeah. You know, so they have signed kind of a how-to book, or maybe they even have support. Like that's one of the things that drives me crazy, especially if when you come to parenthood as a trauma survivor, you're lacking that basic support that a lot of other people have. And it's hard to understand it until you live it.
0: Right. And that sense of like, even like isolation, maybe aloneness, maybe loneliness doesn't even like fit. But like, yeah, this the sense of isolation. And especially for folks who are trauma survivors, right? I imagine that some of these experiences inherent in this transition or even raising a child can kind of trigger these like unhealed, or maybe even healed wounds from our own lives, from our own upbringing, from our childhood, or even like other areas of our lives.
1: Absolutely. When you're experiencing things as a parent, it inherently adds a different layer to any trauma you might've had, especially if we're talking about like attachment trauma. When we say attachment trauma, that's just a clinical way of really saying trauma that happens with some kind of caregiver, period. You know, caregiver, partner, there's some attachment trauma there. If you're a child who's experienced some kind of trauma from someone in your family, it's going to show up when you're parenting, you know, not only again, do you not have the reference point here for how to parent in a healthy way, but you are, if you're in the process of healing now, having to recognize that you don't have that support either because these people who raised you, even if well-intentioned are not safe for your child to be around because Maybe they haven't done the work, you know, maybe they aren't recognizing that their behavior is troublesome or not in the child's best interest. But either way, there's that inherent issue. You know, the thing that always blows my mind about trauma is it's generational, you know, and I don't think that Mm -hmm. we recognize it. Like, you know, when you say trauma, let's back up. When we talk about trauma.
0: I love defining a construct. Let's define a construct. Yes, it's my favorite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important that when we define trauma, we know what we're talking about. So right. people, when you say trauma, they're like, oh yeah, sexual abuse or physical abuse. And those are the two people you usually go to. And it's like, well, yes, absolutely. And those are two. And <laughs> you know, trauma really is, and this is my favorite definition by Bessel van der Kolk, who's an amazing author, research person, like amazing and it's any event that overwhelms your nervous system. So when your nervous system at a purely biological level gets overwhelmed by something that becomes traumatic because your body's trying to respond to it and it doesn't necessarily have the tools. So this could be a natural disaster that happens. You know, think like hurricanes, floods, tornadoes just happen. Anything like that, any kind of food insecurity overwhelms your nervous system. There's actually a lot of phenomenal data about food insecurity that happened post-World War II and how it infected people generations down, you know, in war. And these aren't things that it's just like, okay, this happens. So those parents are, you know, having a hard time. It's like, no, like it actually impacts your DNA and people don't realize that like we can trace it down two generations on your DNA. Now, does it actually structurally change your DNA? No, it changes the chemical marks that decide whether or not your genes are gonna be expressed. So for all those people who are like, wait, what do you mean? Like, there's no hope. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you have to do the work because those markers are now on your DNA. You're destined to some point to have this predisposition. Sorry, you're not destined. You're predisposed to have your body respond in certain ways. And maybe that's when you have a high stress moment, you are going to respond more, more crisis situation, you know, or maybe you have a lower tolerance, people might say, or a shorter fuse. And that might be because that's part of what is going on for you. When we think about it mentally, emotionally, behaviorally, people tend to get tripped up. So let's talk about it as far as Basic biological systems.
0: I I think, like, you know, when we're talking about this idea of generational trauma or, you know, even cultural experiences or cultural trauma, collective trauma, when we, I'm just going to say, like procreate or when we parent, right? Or when we, you know, when we're transitioning into this role of parenthood, so often we reflect unconsciously, consciously about how parenting or relationships in general were modeled for us. And, you know, so much of that too, and something that you mentioned earlier around like, this is our algorithm, right? And so the way we interact with the world, attachment obviously impacts our algorithm, right? And how can that, all of that data that we've collected pre-parenthood, How can that not affect how we engage and emerge into that role as a parent in both helpful, neutral, and not so helpful ways, right? So I think that piece around the generational component or the revisiting or rethinking about, you know, how we were parented or how the relationships that we've navigated, you know, how can that not impact this huge transition to becoming a parent?
1: Absolutely. I think it's great that the way you're framing it is like, it's not that it's inherently bad. Like this is how we're built to survive as we learn from the people before us. And sometimes the things we learn don't serve us. You know, so the trick is being able to recognize when that moment comes up. You know, I think about an example just within my own family, when we talk about generational trauma and how it might not be something that you even flag as problematic. Like, so my, if you go back to generations of my own lineage, like that's great depression time. And so my grandmother grew up during great depression. Obviously there was food insecurity. There was all kinds of financial insecurity. She carried that with her. And without any intention of any kind of harm passed on to her children, you know? So when my mom was growing up, it was a very big thing that you waste, not want, not many people hearing this might know that exact phrase. So you finished everything that was on your plate. You didn't ask for anything else. You were, that was it food. And you always food was like, Oh my God, like an obsession. Like, will we have enough And Was that coming in because there were problems at that time? No, it's because when she grew up, there were problems without thinking about it. She passed it to her kids. And then I didn't notice I even had this issue until my 30s. And I was having like people over for dinner. And I noticed I started having like full on panic attack that we might run out of food. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to starve. Like it was full
0: alarm bells, alarm bells. Yeah.
1: And I had not had that issue in my adult life. There was more than enough food for everybody, yeah, including yeah. leftovers. But it didn't people's. feel like there was, right? But it of the generational like, cycles, yeah. I was having this moment. I was like, oh my God, where is this from? And my mom and my aunt happened to be there and they just started laughing. I was like, what? And they're like, oh yeah, we do that too. You always got to have enough for everybody. And like, it wasn't until that moment where suddenly like my therapist self clicked in and I was like,
0: huh. Oh, curious.
1: Really, because this has not been an issue. Right. You know, and it's just like it's those things that you don't even recognize, but they become such ingrained parts of our life because it was an issue for someone along the line, you know, and when we don't have, you know, the opportunity or the ability to acknowledge that. We're destined to repeat that. So, when we talk about things like generational trauma, the phrase that always sticks with me is well, it worked for my parents, so it'll work for me. And I'm like, ah, no, thank you. If that's the only reason you're doing something, we need to have a serious check in because that's just normalized. Something has been normalized. Now, it could be good, it might be different, but it also might be bad.
0: Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. What's been coming up so much for me in this process is, you know, being someone who was adopted at birth, this experience is very wild. And it's so interesting because when one of my mom's closest friends found out that I was pregnant and she's adopted too, she kind of pulled me aside when she was at my mom's house one day and she goes, so, and it was like, almost like a whisper, like, so is the adoption stuff coming up yet? And I was like, ooh, child, you don't even know. I mean, she does know, obviously, because she asked me. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, it's definitely coming up. So even like stuff like that, too, of like, wow, this is a lot of this stuff is coming up and simmering and bubbling and moments of kind of even, you know, these triggering moments. Even on Monday, when I was being asked at this exam, I was being asked about like familial history. And like, I don't know a lot of that information. And so they see on my chart, oh, that I'm Jewish, but I was adopted into a Jewish family. I wasn't born Jewish, and so they're asking me all these questions. And I was like, "Let me clarify. You know, I was adopted at birth to a Jewish family. I don't know a lot of my history. And even like reminding myself that I have to say things like that. All like all those that stuff is like kind of just simmering. And you know, I log and I make note of it, and I'm like, oh, great content therapy next week, right? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Well, and so that's if we talk about like our body, our whole
1: system, our mind, body, spirit, like that's part of that stuff that's coming back up. And it's not that you didn't heal it. It's like you healed the layer that was present at that time. When we transition to having this new role of, you know, motherhood, we're talking specifically, but any like parenthood, we talk about that transition. It's a new sense of self. It's a new use of you. And so all of it's a new identity. So it's all these pieces start coming up. And it makes sense that things that you thought were healed are coming back up. And it's not that they were never healed. It's that they were not relevant the way they're relevant now. You know, So I might be able to heal all of my anxiety about watering my plants on time. But that doesn't mean I'm suddenly going to not be anxious about things once I have my kids.
0: And I imagine too, like, you know, even with some of the examples that we've talked about already, or even in thinking about what this looks like, I'm sure there's a huge spectrum of how this can come up. And, you know, I think that depends on so many different variables. But like, I wonder, you know, when we think about knowing the signs that we might be managing, having difficulty managing this, or even like knowing how to identify when this is becoming really challenging, like how do we differentiate? Because I imagine some part of this comes up kind of just as a part of the process, right? And it's kind of almost like a typical part of the process. So how do we kind of differentiate or even like identify when we are having kind of challenges or difficulty managing being a trauma survivor, having experienced trauma, even generational pieces as we, you know, emerge into this role of parenthood or even if we've been in this role of parenthood for a while?
1: Well, I think there are certain things, you're right, it happens on a spectrum, but I think there are certain things that we want to be mindful of and checking in with ourselves. First off, knowing who you are and being able to reflect on what is your normal is important. If you find that while you're transitioning to parenthood, you don't understand your reactions, you want to notice that because that is, most likely an indication that some of your own trauma stuff is coming up. If you find that you're responding at like a level 10 to maybe a situation that's level two, or even level zero, you want to check in with that because it's not that you're a bad parent. It's because something, some raw nerve inside of your being has been
0: exposed. Right, Our alarm bells are are going off in an instance, but they might not.
1: You know, so recognizing that if you find that you're feeling generally disconnected from people... And you're feeling disconnected even from your own parenthood journey, check in with that. Because guess what? That is one of our fundamental coping skills in trauma. You know, as we check out, if we can't fight it, if we can't run from it, we shut down and check out. Yeah. So guess what? If you start finding that you're shutting down or checking out, guess what? That's your trauma system being activated. So, notice it you know increased anxiety increased irritability notice it and it never ever ever hurts to go to a couple sessions recognize where you're at and if you want to touch base with somebody schedule an appointment to touch base with somebody or if you feel more comfortable looking online look and see what may or may not be normal i generally prefer i encourage people to schedule the appointment because the internet is a black hole Sing it sister
0: i'm right there yeah
1: yeah but you want to be mindful of where you are. And the thing I always tell people is you want to check in with yourself and see if you're suffering, because if you're suffering, you want, or you have an opportunity to address it. Suffering is not an inherent part of motherhood. Sorry, patriarchy. Suck it. Suffering is not part that. of motherhood.
0: <laughs> Shut it from the rooftops.
1: Yeah, that's right. Like, no more. I said, good day. Uh, (laughs) Suffering does not have to be part of motherhood. It is not supposed to be part of motherhood. And so if it's becoming a part of yours, know that you deserve better and that better is available for you. You are not inherently a bad mom. There's nothing wrong with you as a human being because you're suffering. There is something going on and there is help out there
0: and it's so it's so wild too cuz a large part of this process of this transition that has felt really isolating yet and i find myself being like oh well i wonder if i'm the only one who experiences experiences this right or the big one for me is when people are like oh my god congratulations like mazel tov, this is so exciting and i'm over here like yeah i feel great about this but also there's i'm like overwhelmed all of the time <laughs> and so when i started speaking out and sharing that with my friends who have gone through this transition it was so normalizing and validating to be like oh other people have experienced this too right so by you know pushing through that sense of isolation and finding our tribe and finding you know strength of course always in our ancestors but in people who have gone through this journey before who are by the way the most willing to support and help and offer thoughtful and beautiful and intentional guidance throughout this process. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about this like sense of isolation. And so building that community, it's active. You have to do it actively and with intention, but it can make such a big difference. And particularly, you know, being in an individualistic society here, it's, you know, you have to kind of push past those and the patriarchy, which we talked about, like we have to push past those barriers, right? To build that community and to to feel connected, right? You mentioned one of the warning signs might be feeling that sense of disconnection. And so we have to be really active in how we connect.
1: Absolutely. And intentional, very intentional, like you said, you know, because you will run into some people who will be willing to tell you all the things without request and this is where it comes in it's like
0: when someone is solicited advice what do you mean i don't know what you're (laughs) talking about
1: (laughs) just okay
0: i'm just i'm just saying like my first
1: had barely cleared the womb before people asked me about my second i was like are you serious
0: yeah i'm like back up yeah yeah take a take a pause let's take a breath
1: they need a playmate i'm like like
0: i what? Like I haven't even been stitched up yet, people. Exactly. Let's take a breath. Yeah. Like, come on. This one's <laughs> still covered in goo. Like, what are you doing? They haven't even been cleaned off yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Good
1: times. Patriarchy. and <laughs> so that unsolicited advice. You always want to when people try to give it to you. You don't. I encourage you to take it with a grain of salt or don't even take it. Or you can say, next time I want your opinion, I'll let you know. Thank you. And walk away. That's a healthy boundary. People often question it, that women aren't allowed to say that. But you're allowed to say, like, I'll ask you the next time I want feedback. No one's entitled to tell you that. That intentional community that you're talking about when we're seeking out others who have gone before us, maybe our close friends or trusted relatives or ancestors or whatever it might be, that is. Is when you want to be open to that community, to taking that feedback, to taking that advice, because you're right. They will tell you, you know, and you'll have people. I will be honest, like with people that I run into who would start talking about motherhood or when they first have a baby, you know, yes, the baby is cute, but my first question is always, how are you? You know, because we often are given this message that it's the baby that matters. You know, our service to the world is officially complete because we procreated male author, male heir. What the? It's like, no, how is the mom doing? You know, because it's so wild. That there are so many things that come with pregnancy that do not get attention, that come with motherhood that do not get the attention. Like the fact that you are so flooded with hormones after having a child that it is anticipated that within the first three to five days, you will have an uncontrollable crying spell that will make you feel like you are dying. Why? Because that's part of the hormonal release after pregnancy. But do you find out about this? If you're lucky, one of the female nurses mentions it in your maternity ward. So many women I know had no idea they came out, they had this and they call and they're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm like, Oh, you had a baby. There's nothing wrong with you. This is part of the normal biological response. And the sense of relief is palpable because they think, yes, because they think it's something inherently wrong with them. So when you're setting and you're scheduling your communities, be intentional. You know, don't just pop into one because you think you're supposed to be there. Have the intention. So if you're talking about you're just brand new to motherhood. So, you know, you have an infant, you have a baby. There are some really great moms groups around there. You know, get your kid into a library class. People forget how phenomenal the libraries are.
0: Love a library. Mm.
1: Love a library. Mm -hmm. They have so many story times available so find something near you and that can be how you start to build your community if you happen to be breastfeeding go to a lactation group their mom's in a lactation group let me tell you they keep it real real <laughs> <laughs> on the real real oh my god like let me just say you need to bust down some stigma and some myths those moms <laughs> <laughs>
0: they tell it like it is
1: they tell it like Hey sugarcoat no, you know, go visit a lactation consultant. Again, like that's a way if you're feeling, you're breastfeeding mom, because sometimes, especially in the United States, breastfeeding can be very stigmatized. It can feel very isolating, like, oh, you're not allowed to do that here. Go sit in that bathroom stall and feed your child. So those are some intentional ways you can create your communities. You know, if your kids are a little older, maybe they're in school, PTOs, sports clubs, or PTOs are parent-teacher organizations, school clubs, sporting groups, things like that. You know,
0: those can be really good ways to build up your community. So we talked a bit about kind of building community, building connections, finding connections, finding your tribe, right? What are other steps that we can take if we are noticing that we are having difficulty kind of managing parenthood as a trauma survivor? What are other things that we might be able to do to help manage that?
1: So you want to practice doing grounding. When we talk about grounding, we're talking about helping your mind and body be present and connected to your current moment, you know, so do some deep breathing, you know, from a biological standpoint, we want to help your nervous system calm down.
0: Yeah. We
1: when want help it Yep. Right. We want to help it regulate itself again. Because, especially if we're a trauma survivor, that system, that ability to balance itself is already skewed. So, we want to help it as much as we can. There are lots of things that we can do to help regulate our nervous system. So, the deep breathing is the one you'll see most common. One of my favorite things in the world is to hum, which it sounds really bizarre because you're like, who still does that? But it's me and my car going. But why? Because when we hum, it activates our vagus nerve, which is one of the main nerves in our down regulation system. So do that. That's a way to use your body to help ground your body.
0: I love that. I love that. I'm going to try humming. I think you got me. I think right? you got me on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be in that in the car with you. We're gonna be humming away. I'm humming at a good tune. That's right.
1: I'm like. It's what I do on my drives to and from work now. I'm like. I'm just gonna do a little down regulation, <laughs> like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's like random songs. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just nothing. It's like. hmm. But the more I do that, the more I activate that vagus nerve, the more my body starts to regulate, my systems start to find their natural balance, and I come out of any state of arousal I might be in. You know, maybe my child has told me for the seventh time today that I'm the worst mom ever because I won't let her have TikTok. Okay, I'm going to go hum it out because the alternative is going to be screaming, and I don't want to do that. But realizing that these skills can follow us whenever and just because I know we talked a lot about early motherhood today, but like motherhood, parenthood doesn't get easier, you know, because you're always parenting a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old or whatever it might be for the first time, you know, and recognizing that's going to keep shifting. So these skills, these wellness techniques will serve you no matter where you're at in the journey, even with your adult children.
0: No, I I love all of the things that we've talked about in terms of, you know, building community. I'm always talking about like finding your tribe, grounding, heck yeah, focusing on the present um, and however that looks for us, right? Like whether it's breathing, whether it's humming, right? Whether it's using kind of tactile or sight or however we can bring it back into the present to regulate and how in so many ways too, that's, that is in and of itself, maybe breaking the cycle and modeling Regulation can really be incredibly powerful.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And another way to really model it and like take it home. And I decided this is the thing I love the most about parenting is apologize because so many people were raised in homes where apologizing or emotions for signs of weakness and the adults never did it. So if you want to break a cycle of trauma that in part is from the patriarchy, shout back out to that. Apologize to your children when you do something. You know, when you cross a line, when you do scream, you know, when you do something like that, apologize to them. Because not only are you healing yourself in that moment, but you're also healing your relationship with them. And you're telling this generational cycle, it stops here. Like, we're done with this. Like, adults can be held accountable as well.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. So, where can folks get in contact with you? Find out more about you.
1: I am on Instagram at Eddie Wellness. That's E-D-D-Y wellness. And you can also go to the website, eddiewellness.com. Those are the best ways to follow me. I really encourage people to check out the Instagram account. Put so much free content out there. Like this is my love letter to moms everywhere and to humans everywhere. It's like, cause I realize that especially right now, we're in the time of a mental health crisis. There's really not enough therapists. So this is a way, you know, this is another way you can help build your community where you can help kind of even check yourself if maybe you're not feeling comfortable calling somebody yet, go to these resources, go to these licensed professional people that are on these platforms and see what's out there. You know, I teach a lot of coping skills on my website. I do a lot of psychoeducation. So telling you like, this is pretty common, You know, normalizing things like normalizing the fact that, when you're a parent and you've had trauma, your parenting journey is going to look different than someone else's.
0: And that's okay. You offer so many, like you have so many offerings, amazing offerings, anything coming up that we want folks to keep an eye out for?
1: Actually, thanks for <laughs> Let that. me tell you more. Let me tell you about my lovely, lovely baby, which is my whole self wellness for mom's course. It's all about how to incorporate wellness into a very demanding schedule. I am so excited about this course. So what it is, is it's focusing on wholesale wellness. So like we talked about earlier, mind, body, spirit, mind, body, soul, whatever you call that third thing. I have modules devoted to each of them, mind, body, spirit, and then another module devoted just to integrating all three of them at the same time. It is, I have poured like 20 years of research and my personal work, my professional work, all of it into this course and I could not be more thrilled. And I have found ways to get your wellness for you, like to help you achieve some wellness in under three minutes and like that for all the other parents out there like that is the piece like we can do this in under three minutes and i'm just amazed to be offering this and i also part of this course includes the reiki one placement so it's also another way for you to help get in touch with where we ta- started today where we're talking about that life energy that key you talked about your acupuncturist they're amazing by the way yes because they honor your full body did you realize that acupuncture is one of the original like mind body spirit techniques because it talks about the meridians. It talks about how the energy is flowing. It's amazing. It really is. So finding or like, so my course has this, you guys, there's nothing out there like this. I am beyond excited to have this offering coming to you. Like this is, I'm just so
0: excited for it. I'm excited for it too. Well, amazing, Renee. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this important topic. I just, I'm so appreciative. I've loved this conversation and just thank you so much for showing up and engaging in this conversation with me. Really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for joining in to today's episode of Managing with Dr. Melly. We hope this episode was helpful and that you enjoyed the conversation. We'd love to hear about your insight on today's topic and hear from you about what you'd like us to feature in upcoming episodes. Head on over to our website, managingpodcast.com to share your feedback. Enjoy today's episode, leave a review and join the movement by following us on social media platforms at managing podcast and subscribe to the podcast on the platform that you're tuning in from. A huge thank you to those who join in on the thoughtful dialogue and reflection, and to our editor extraordinaire, Annie Horvath. The content within this podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute a personal or professional consultation, advice, clinical assessment, therapy, or to replace medical or mental health treatment from the host or the guests featured.